number 13. Frisky. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, party people out there. Happy New Year. Happy January. Happy 2021. All things magical and, and fun and festive. And we get into the business of, of manifesting all the things that we want in our lives. 2021 has promised a lot, a lot of magic. Uh, welcome to Too Much Woman for This World podcast. This is Kyrie Wigginton, your host, your fabulous Too Much Womanness, <laughs> bringing all the lusciousness. <laughs> um, we have a great guest tonight. I am so excited for y'all to see her, to hear her. Um, I heard her words. I've known her for some years, like through community, but I finally got the chance to hear her words. We performed last year, earlier, earlier in 2019, mm -hmm. right? Um, at um, our our voices ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when I heard you speak, I was like, oh my goodness, it was so powerful. Okay, so I can't wait to get into it. So please welcome my wonderful guest, Vanessa Rochelle Lewis. Woohoo! Woo! Hey. Hi, <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to be on this podcast with you. I'm um, excited to have you. Oh, well, you know, I'm always here when a woman wants to have me. Yeah. So. <laughs> you say, talk that good, dirty talk. <laughs> <laughs> we could go there. But right, I yeah. wanted to tell you, you know, I first saw you perform. You were in a, um, a show with three skits. It was you, um, I, I, I did, uh -huh, I uh -huh. and Pat Brooks. Uh -huh. And oh my gosh, like the whole show was everything. But since I'm here with you, <laughs> you, you owned the complexity and the nuance of what it means to be a fat black woman. You hey. know? Like so often in like fat spaces, fat lib spaces, it's so important to just be all about, I love my body. I love my body. But how it's hard sometimes, right, mm -hmm. to be in love with your body in a world that like hates it. And you did it with depth and love and compassion and fierceness and vulnerability. And I was just like, what? Damn, who is this woman? <laughs> Thank you. It's funny because I remember you and your partner coming up to me after the show. I remember that. Yeah, the whole time we were like holding hands and squealing. <laughs> you got fans. You got fan fans. Ah, thank you. That is so sweet. You know, it's interesting. When I first started the journey with Too Much Woman for This World, I really started it off as a workshop when I was working in the colleges um, back in like 2000 and uh, maybe the early 2000s, 2000, 2001, 2002. And I started wanting to investigate like, what was up with body image and how people yeah. talked about bodies and you know I, living my whole life as a black girl up until that point and um all of the negative things that came along with it but then wanting to like shift my engagement of it and so i would do these workshops and one of the things i found was that um that really all of this fat stuff like the the the, the turn from like real women bodies in the media was really because of twiggy I felt no. like I, I, I felt like I had been duped this whole time. Oh, you know, Twiggy, when, the model, the, the model. Yeah. So if you remember, um, if you remember, like when you think about like uh, old TV shows or like Marilyn Monroe and things like that, because the average woman in this country is like a 12, 14, yeah. right? And yeah. that's what women's bodies look like on TV before and, and yeah. famous women. Yeah. And they were there celebrated. Was, there was 
was a lushness. There was yep. absolutely a lushness to women in the media. And you know what else I really appreciate about older TV? Um, not only was there a lushness, but we got to see women of diverse ages. Mm -hmm. like be comedic, be sexy, be present, mm -hmm. be more than moms and grandmoms. Mm -hmm. um, and what I really miss, what I really miss what? is black <laughs> people on TV that are my skin color. I don't know when the last time I saw that, it was maybe like Full House or some, no, not Full House. What's the other one with Urko? Uh -huh. Family uh, Matters. Family like, Matters. Mm -hmm. Oh, I miss seeing myself on TV. I heard that. I, I think that people don't understand the power of representation, right? Sure. And whatever people's politics are around the, the current moment, right? Whatever mm. they are. And, you know, there's a diverse range of them, right? But you cannot take away from the what it means for like my 10-year-old girl cousin uh, who listens and watches CNN regularly at 10, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. to be keenly aware that there is a black woman in in pre in, in, in the vice president position yeah. right like we cannot like whatever the things are representation is one of the most powerful tools because it gives you the power of imagination That's and if right. you can't see yourself in something then how do you become anything it's so true mm -hmm. and we need it and we mm -hmm. need to be able to see ourselves we need to be able to see ourselves with complexity Mm -hmm. We need to be able to see ourselves being loved. And yes. Accepted, yes. You know, because yes. it's true. we need to see that to know that it is possible for us. We need to see that in the people around us. For me, it's a, so I am this, let me tell you, <laughs> <I'm> a relationship. <laughs> I feel like, what's her name? Someone, someone's got a man at home. Do you know, uh -huh. who, you know who was it again? I can't remember. Uh, Shante Moore. Shante. So I'm in that kind of situation where I'm just like, y'all, I'm being loved up on, I'm being treated good, I'm being cared about. And and we're we're about four years now. And it oh, took me about three years to be like, holy shit, this is actually Real. happening. Mm -hmm. This is not a fluke. Mm -hmm. And and it blew my mind so much because I'm like, I'm literally not accustomed to witness women like who look like me being treated the way that I'm being treated mm, um, mm. and it was a mind shock it was such a mind shock that it for a moment I didn't I did not trust it mm -hmm. I couldn't trust it I I was waiting for the shoe to drop you know and it it breaks my heart it breaks my heart a little bit to see um to see how inaccessible like love, like real love, the behavior of love can be. And it's part mm -hmm. of why I started doing the work that I did with Reclaim Ugly. That's so powerful. I'm, we're going to get into that, but real, real quick, I wanted to say something because you talked about um, my show being like honest. And I wanted to say that I had to get pushed to be that real. So oh. Iodele Nzinga, who is my mentor, um, and people have been pushing me first because first I, I was writing the story from my fierceness, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I have arrived. <laughs> so I was writing it and people would be like, but what about, and I was struggling with that. But Iodele was like, I don't do, uh, what did she say? I don't do comedy. I do drama. <laughs> I do real. And she kept pushing me and pushing me to dig into the pain and and the part that one of the beautiful things is I'm sure, you know, doing your work of telling your story is just how much healing comes, not just to other yeah. people, but to yeah. yourself. 
through yes. your story. So I just wanted to so put sure. that out there. All right, now tell us the ugly. So you know how bold it is for you to say. I was like, she, did she just say ugly black woman? Did she just say that? You don't say that. <laughs> With those days, like you don't say that. No. So oh, why? Why so mean? bold? Look, in two thousand and nineteen, I googled ugly black women, and my face showed up. It was the number two face, the number two image in Google search. No longer, it has changed. Now when you Google ugly black women, you will come across a bunch of articles about people reclaiming their ugly and analyzing and talking about uglification. Shut but the there fuck was up. An actual experience. So this is what happened. What? So, well, I feel like I need popcorn. I'm just saying <laughs> something, a glass of wine. Girl. So it was late 2019. And I had just performed, I had just read with James Cass. You know him, he's an Oakland-based writer and he's amazing, beautiful mm -hmm. writing. So I read at his book release and I was so pretty. I was wearing this jazzy 1920s red dress, all silky and mm -hmm. beaming on my chocolate skin. I was proud, you know, a feather in my hair, Ooh. crystals on my face. I was Ooh. like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I so I that. got on Facebook a couple of days after the reading and I was so sure, oh, Facebook told me that somebody uploaded a picture of me and I was like, this is going to be that photo. Uh -huh. somebody has captured my beauty and I am going to go read a bunch of compliments. What I actually came across was some random man who I had never met and knew nothing about had uploaded a picture of me when I was a 26, 27 year old college teacher standing in front of my chalkboard, a half erased chalkboard smiling and cheesing after an amazing um, lecture. And he wrote, you know, me looking for baddies the kind of women that respond, what's wrong with y'all ladies? And the baddies he was looking for were women who he wanted to be in the VIP session of a, a concert, an after party for a concert he was hosting. He was a, a party promoter, concert thrower, that kind of dude. So he used my face, my smile, my body as like a weapon, a tool to decide what kind of women he deemed unworthy of being in VIP spaces. Wow. What kind of women weren't welcomed? And you know, when it first happened, I was irate. Now, if you had met me when I was a little bit younger, my heart might've been broken. Uh -huh. I might've been sad, but uh -huh. I was fortunate enough to have done some really good self-love and work, mm -hmm. some really good growing up, forgiveness, healing, all of that kind of stuff grounded in my own beauty that wasn't the issue but what made me live it was that he would take my sacred face my beautiful body and use it as a weapon against other black women other fat black women he used it to hurt people he used it to decide who's welcome in a space and who's not welcome in a space he turned me into a joke and that means he turned other people who look like me into a joke Dark and my job, mm -hmm. my purpose on this earth is to make sure that everyone knows that they are deserving and worthy of love. They are deserving and worthy of safety. They are deserving and worthy of feeling and knowing that they are welcome in their world. If this is the work I'm doing, and then you come and use my face to do the very opposite of that. Oh, girl, mama bear came out. I was breathing wow. fire. I was spitting tax. I was ready to fight. <laughs> wow. I was ready to fight. 
I mean, I just have all the things. Like, yeah. I can just imagine. And thank God that you had done the work that you had done, right? Because um, I can just imagine, you know, when you're in the public eye, it's hard to always be scrutinized, right? Yeah. It's hard for people always to have some kind of comment, feeling, um, uh, feeling like they're like um, entitled to your body, to it's your true. look, to whatever, right? Like it, it becomes exhausting. Yeah. And I just, I would have felt like, what the fuck? Like my feelings would have been hurt. And not because I'm not strong, but because like, what did I do to you? What did I even do to deserve that. any of this? And there's that. So, so here's the thing, right? None of us deserve it, but that's kind of what uglification does. Uglification is when you choose to perceive somebody as ugly, you choose to render somebody as ugly, as violent, as dangerous, or whatever. It makes us feel like we are to blame for the fucked up ways people see us and how they treat us, which is not true. But I did ask this guy, I was like, why would you upload this picture? Why would you do this? And he said, one, I didn't think you were a real person, which really means he didn't think that I was a person that would like find out or find out, out on his page, be connected. Yeah. Um, but it also speaks to how often people that we perceive as ugly, we don't always see them as real. Just mm -hmm. like with like, think about the history of slavery. Black people were taxable property during slavery. We were not real to these people who believe that they can own our bodies, our love, our life, our, our sex, our, all of these things, our brains, you know? Similarly, in this world, when we make fun of other people, when comedians stand on a stage and belittle people, when we sitting around with our friends and we're cracking jokes about the other people, we're stripping away their humanity. Their tenderness, we're not even acknowledging that this is a real person with real feelings. And people do weird shit when their feelings are hurt. You know, we live in a world where people are going around shooting up schools or a world where like nine-year-old girls are taking their lives and writing letters to their parents, I'm sorry for being ugly. Yeah. Like when we make fun of people, when we treat people in this way, it has a real impact. Um, but to continue the story, you know, so I asked him why he did this. He told me he didn't think I was a real person um, and that he Googled ugly black women like as a joke for this status. And my picture showed up. So then I Googled ugly black women and it was true. My picture was there right on next to Michelle Obama's as well as next to black women who looked like they were in midst of crises, who were struggling with like, something that like led them to be in clearly unsafe situations. So it made me think about like all the different, oh, and I need to, almost every black woman that you saw when you listed ugly black women dark. were two out of these three, three identities, old, dark skinned, fat. And then a lot of them, like I said, were struggling with crises in the pictures, you know? So I found what I ended up finding was that this picture was attached to a blog. And this blog was like an Afrofuturism blog written by a black man. And this particular entry was all about why he wanted other black men to go to college so that they can meet non-black women 
who he said would be more attractive, who would have better attitudes, who like listed all of these reasons. And this whole blog, his whole blog is dedicated to trashing black women and celebrating non-black women at our expense. That is so crazy. <laughs> I mean, all the things like, so first of all, I commend you for uh, instead of, I, I know how easy it would be to shrink, mm -hmm. um, to shrink as opposed to fight. And so I commend you for fighting, right? Mm -hmm. I commend you for stealing the narrative back yeah. um, and being fueled and not just on your own behalf, but on the behalf of other black women, fat black That's women. That's right. And dark skinned women. That's right. You but can't I, take my narrative. I, hey, I, I feel that. <laughs> you know, I don't know too many people who would be courageous enough and bold enough to say that, right? Like, yeah. I, I, in many ways, as hard as it is to talk to name yourself fat, you know what I mean, publicly to take the identity of ugly and name and say that publicly, I would say that that's even harder. Yes. You know, I think so. We hear you're cute. You're pretty for a dark skinned girl. You're pretty for a fat girl. Right. Like, like, I think that there's like, if we're talking about like rank and like, um, social, social accolade or, um, social status, I would say that even, even being fat would be higher than being ugly. Right. In the it's ways true. that people, people it's talk true. about. It, so. And people say things, you see memes like straight out memes where people are like, I might be fat, but I can lose weight. You can't not be ugly. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, so what are we doing? Like dogging each other out in yeah. order to lift ourselves up? Is that our only strategy? That doesn't actually change anything, you know? Um, wow. Me loving myself, like representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. And me loving myself in public can be healing for a lot of people, but also me loving myself does not change the world. It does not protect other young people from experiencing what I've experienced. And, you know, to be real honest with you, Kairishi, I think this was a long time coming because I was a bully child. You know, I've been told that I was ugly for the vast majority of my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that I had always saw it as a like me against others kind of struggle. Mm -hmm. You know, I even focused a lot on this idea of decolonizing the idea of beauty and mm -hmm. striving to interact with people who had liberated their idea of beauty. But I realized like, actually this idea of ugliness is a way that we really hurt people and really exclude people. Like really like there are people who won't get hired because of the way they look. Yeah. And there are people who are gonna get, um, get like, like you remember that dude, that real, like the light skinned green eyed dude who like everyone thought he was beautiful. They called him Prison Bay. And because he was so cute, they did a fundraiser to get him out of jail. And now he dates princesses and kicks it on yachts. Oh, really? Yes. Yes. So there was Prison Bay. <laughs> and because everyone was just like, he's too beautiful to go to jail. You know, we need to get him out. And it's just like that there is this natural hierarchy and celebration of a certain standard of beauty. Um, at the expense of other people, it's bull. Um, but I saw you were about to say something, so. I'm sorry, I'm having a whole like allergy. Oh yeah, take care of yourself, honey. Mm. You know what, can we have like a hydration moment? If there's anybody else watching this, maybe it's time. <laughs> say that. 
Um, Maybe I should change my name to Fat Black and Hydrated. (laughs) I think, you know, what I was going to say is, so before we go any further, I think that it is important to name, like to me, one of the um, tragedies of the internet. And I think, you know, there's all these amazing things that have come along with the internet and social media. But one of the the tragedies is the, (laughs) I'm going to say this, people, they can get mad. I don't care. Puppy said a long time ago, he said, there's a serious disease plaguing our community and it's called bitch assness, right? And <laughs> our community. But like, it's really allowed bitch assness to like fester and grow. And people will say things boldly online that they would never say to your face. It's true. So it's not even just that that man felt like you didn't exist really which is bizarre because it was a picture. So I don't understand what he thought. It was not a cartoon. (laughs) But that he had the gall to do it is because he was online and that was saving him, right? And that that just is not acceptable. It's not. And I want to say like, it is, it is true. It is 100% true about the internet. I've come across multiple memes. Actually, more recently, there was a meme with a picture of me, a picture of an Asian woman, a white woman, and a Latina woman. And it was like, which one's got to go? And then, yes. And then, like, there was, like, stars and hearts for everyone. And then mine was, like, that face. Um, But, um, and this was on TikTok. It was seen, like, more than 14,000 times. But the person who posted it was a youth. It was a child. Um, and their profile was deleted. And again, deleting a profile is not the answer, you know? Um, but I say this to say, I, my own experience, even in Oakland, is that this does not just happen to me on the internet. I have definitely walked down the street by Lake Merritt at night and had some random person like roll their window down and bark at me. I have walked to the BART, um, walked to the BART over in downtown Oakland and had little kids, like teenagers, you know, not, not children, but teenagers be like, damn, why you look like that? Da, 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 da. You know, um, I like, I can't tell you how many times strange men on the streets feel like they can say all kinds of things to me. Um, I'll never forget the time I went into Rite Aid. There was this man, he was following me and he was like trying to, hey sister, hey pretty, hey girl, all this stuff, you know, and I get into Walgreens and I'm like, ignoring him (laughs) like stop following me he got so mad at me he started calling me an ugly bitch and lunged at me the security guard was right there and did nothing there were a million people in line did nothing nothing. no one did nothing and I'm like like literally it is unsafe it is unsafe to exist in this body out in public in the world you know, and and it and I think the thing that's important for me to think about uglification, right? The ways that we treat people who look a certain way is when we're dealing with this constant stress, this constant microaggression. That stress impacts our body. It's this stress, it's this violence we experience that causes hypertension, diabetes, way more than McDonald's. And that's just like so. That's 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 one thing on top of all of the other things, right? Like. So <laughs> it's, it's taken wow. our lives in so many ways. It's taken our lives. And so like my dream, you know, so I talked about uglification, but I also started this organization called Reclaim Ugly. 
And Reclaim Ugly has turned ugly into acronym. Mm-hmm. And ugly stands for uplift, glorify, love yourself, and create a world where everyone else can. So with Reclaim Ugly, our goal is to like support people to take back what bullying has mm-hmm. done to them, mm-hmm. to take back what fat phobia, racism, all these things. And you started our conversation with this talk about radical imagination. And I think imagination is one of the first things that we reclaim when we start to reclaim the parts of ourselves that have been uglified. Definitely. See ourselves differently. We see other people differently. We imagine different ways of being in relationship with ourselves, with the world. We, there's a freedom. There is an absolute freedom that happens when you decide, I am no longer afraid of somebody else thinking I am ugly. And because I'm no longer afraid of somebody thinking I'm ugly, I'm no longer going to cater to those expectations of yeah. yeah. I'm going to get to be who I am. Wow. I'm going to get to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that, yeah, that, that you give yourself your own permission and freedom. Yes. And when you give yourself that permission, like, it's just like the universe is a mother effing playground. Like, it feels good, you know? Because it's like, what? I mean, you already think that. <laughs> I don't have to, I don't have to cater to you anymore. Yeah. I don't have to cater to you. And what I have found for myself is I meet a lot of people that are very much threatened by my freedom. I meet a lot of people who will uglify my freedom and make claims about my propriety or or whatever else, or even like use like the racist idea that black women are aggressive to like, you know, like kind of shut me down. Mm -hmm. But I have met more people so many more people that see my beauty and my freedom mm-hmm. and that like recognize it and that are happy to frolic with me, to play with me, to yeah. have a good time with me, to like have a sexy time with me if that's what we not do. Make art, you know? It's just like when we when we allow ourselves to be free and to reimagine what joy and pleasure and goodness feels like, you see that shit in other people and you get to you get to indulge in a life that like honestly most of our ancestors didn't get to have. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I agree. I yeah. agree. I um I really- didn't even get to have and probably still don't, or you know, what I mean? yeah. my family, like right now, elders that still are, are bound by that, right? Yeah. Um, I cried. I was bullied until I was, I've always been bullied. I mean, I've, I literally, you talked about being in Oakland. Like, I remember going into um, clubs, New Parish or something. And before I hurt my knees, I would be like the first person on the dance floor. Nobody else out there, and I'm dancing. I would, you would often find me bringing the party to the floor, right? Yeah excuse me uh, a lot of times first one on maybe last one off and I would hear women making comments make guys laughing women why is she wearing that I, similarly I've been yelled at drive walk, I'm walking down the street on Broadway and women are like out of the windows telling me you need to be ashamed of yourself put some clothes on all of the things right um so I I can relate on so many levels to what you're saying but I remember the moment in ninth grade, I cried until the ninth grade. And mm-hmm. after the, that, that I was like, I'm done. Like crying has done nothing. 
right? People don't stand up for you. Adults, when you get bullied as a young person, adults console you mostly, but they don't shift. They don't tell kids to behave. They don't protect. Um, they don't have honest conversations. I watch parents when kids are like, you know, babies, kids are honest, right? So they're like, why are you so big? And parents will get embarrassed and they'll take them away. Like, don't say that. But they don't have a conversation with them, right? Yeah. I'll be like, I don't know. Why are you so little? Like, let's talk about <laughs> Like, they're different bodies, right? Yeah. Um, and so people just don't have those conversations. But anyways, when I decided to stop crying, I was like, fuck it. Like, I'm about to start bagging. So let's talk shit. Like, be funny. Because I've heard every fat joke that there ever was, right? Yeah. We already know I'm fat. What else? Because I'm going to say some things that are going to hurt your feelings. It's going to make your boys turn around and laugh at you. Why are you mm. trying to make me feel bad, right? Mm. And there was a freedom in that. So I completely relate to what you're saying. As soon as I changed the narrative and I took the power back, there was a freedom in that. Yeah. And I was down crying. Yeah. It feels so good. It really does. You know, and I think that's the thing that I, I want people to know. It feels good to take your power back. Like, like cocoa butter, you know? And mm. I mean... There's some parts like when your skin real thirsty, you know, shea butter, <laughs> little shea butter with some oil added. Um, and and the thing is, I think the thing that's really hard is we don't have enough vulnerable conversations about what it means to take your power back, yeah. about the fact that it is hard. You don't just wake up and say, I love myself. You don't wake up and say you love anybody. You know, you, you might. You might tell yourself that, but love is an action. Love is a process. Love takes time. Love is a thing that continuously develops and builds off of yourself. And so like a lot of times when people are like, you know, Vanessa, how do I love myself? And I'm like, well, how do you practice loving yourself? What does it mean to fall in love with yourself? You know, Kyrie, she, I courted myself. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I did. I remember one day I was, I was with this one woman and, um, you know, I love this girl, something fierce. I love them all, something fierce. <laughs> <laughs> I loved her, something I fierce. The one. <laughs> I loved her. I love them all. And, and so, you know, this woman, she was living with me. And, um, you know, I had, I had done that. It's kind of stereotypical, but I was taking care of her. Um, you know, she was having a really hard time in life, like, you know, they, at her job, she was facing a lot of misogyny and racism and everything. And I was just like, I make enough money right now. Like, mm -hmm. let's just take some time, heal what I thought I would want for myself. And so I later find out that this woman who's living with me and who I'm taking care of is not actually attracted to me. Um, she liked the way that I made her feel. She liked my heart. She liked the way I took care of her and held her while she cried, but she actually was not hot for me. Wow. Um, and I was like, what? it legit feels like I was your unconsensual John. Um, and so what I realized for myself, like during this period of like trying to heal from that relationship was I need to learn how to treat myself as good if not better as you want than how I treated her. And I thought about her and I thought about the people before her. I thought about all the people that I courted, chased, mm -hmm. pursued, and wondered what would it feel like for me to pursue myself? 
Mm-hmm. What would it feel like for me to chase myself? Uh-huh. And it was the most delicious experience that has transformed my life in every way. And when I say I courted myself, I used to like, you know how people write like, Kyrie, she loves Joshua, that mm-hmm. kind of shit. I'd be like, uh-huh. Nessa loves Nessa, you know, like all the little ways that I wish somebody would like nurture me and take care of my emotions and my feelings when I'm hurt. I started doing that to myself mm-hmm. I started making little playlists for myself I like uh-huh. candles for myself I'd oil myself down and when I masturbated that's a ritual it was a ritual honey when I masturbated I said sweet things to myself mm-hmm. I told myself how pretty I was how soft it how soft I was how good it felt to touch me like I started to treat myself the way that I wanted a lover to treat me and what happened was I got acclimated I got acclimated to that. And once I got acclimated to that real good love from myself, it was hard to tolerate anything else from anyone. That That includes friends, that includes employers. Like I set my own bar and I've been doing a really good job of maintaining that bar. I love that. Yeah, learning to love love myself. And you're, you, you mentioned how uh, good your partner loves you. Yes, that's right. Your partner loves you the way you asked to be loved, huh? They love me the way I asked them to love me. I love that. Come on, manifestation. Come on. The way. And it's so funny. I had a manifestation song. It's that song. I can, it was the OJs, you know, me and my woman. We cry together, <laughs> and then we, and then we, and then we make a love. <laughs> that was that was my thing. I was like, the next person I'm with is gonna empathize with my feelings. Yeah. They are gonna care about my feelings, and if I'm crying, we crying because it's not about I'm right and they're wrong. It's like, what is our vision? What is our journey together? Like we can conquer whatever, like whatever is the issue of we on each other's team, we can conquer it. Um, But in order for me to expect somebody to be on my team, I have to know what it means for me to be on my own team. This is what I've learned. Man, say that. That is such a- I'm not saying, real quick, I just want to make it very clear. I'm not saying that people shouldn't, that you don't deserve love until you learn how to love yourself. But I am saying when you know how to love yourself, you know how to teach other people how to love you good. And how to attract that. And how to attract it. And I, but I, th- I think that like, and I hope the people who are listening, like you, one, you helping me out with some things. Cause I'm like, there's some ritual stuff that I need to do. I got homies. I'm like, oh, they need to hear this. Cause, and I hope the people who are watching really get, to, you know, one of the things I want is for us people to get skills. Right. And so. Yeah. We tell people how to, one of the reasons why I did too much woman for this world. We tell people how or to love themselves, but we don't tell them how to get there, right? And so I think that there's so much wisdom in what you just said, like for you to become your most loved person and, and that it's not even just about romantic relationships, which is usually where we start or where we stop, right? But that it's in every facet of your life, how you feel like you should be treated. That's right. That's right. Let me tell you, like my, my current team. So I have this team with Reclaim Ugly. 
Um, and we're an intergenerational, multiracial, multigender group. And what's really nice is we have some really wonderful white team, white people on our team who are volunteering so I can pay queer and trans people of color, which mm. has been really cool. That's right. Um, and specifically, I'm, I'm getting to pay queer and trans disabled people of color to do like, beautiful dream work. And it, it, it makes me so happy. Um, but when I'm with my team, I feel the same romantic rush than I feel with my partner. Wow. Yeah, because I'm like, what you said about that attraction, like every single person on this team, like literally is present to love each other and love other people. And we are intentionally kind and intentionally compassionate. We've decided that our relationships are more important than any deadline or dollar, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, it's like, oh, you know, like, Again, going back to reclaiming imagination, work doesn't have to be a horrible place. Work yes. doesn't have to be a thing that causes us to die. We can mm-hmm. still do beautiful things moving at the pace of our disabled bodies. Mm-hmm. Or if we some depressed ass motherfuckers, we can do some beautiful things moving at the pace of our mental health. You know, we, we just don't have to be stuck in processes that don't actually serve our liberation, you know? I really appreciate that. That is so powerful. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful that you've been able to cultivate that. Yeah. I have a couple of questions for you. So one, I want to know, um, what were you, what was your family like? Like I know as a fat girl, what mm-hmm. family, the impact of family had on me, right? What was the impact of family on you as a ugly, as a, a quote unquote ugly black girl? Beautiful and horrible beautiful and horrible, Um, you know, so I want to start off by, I got to do this preclude, like, what I believe is that nobody is perfect, nobody deserves to be thrown away unless they are being viciously violent to you and making your life unsafe, Mm -hmm. but even you, that's like you, you can throw them away, but community needs to hold people, Mm -hmm. Um, we all need to be held, and so I I am going to tell a vulnerable story, um, about my parents and like, I love my parents. They're human and they have grown and they have changed. Mm. Um, So I feel like as a child, I had my mom on my side, cheering me on, Mm -hmm. doing everything she had, everything she could to love me with the resources that were available to her. Mm. And then I had my father on the other side who was moving from a face of a place of fear Mm-hmm. and terror about having a fat, dark-skinned, gay daughter. My father lived through the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a little bit older than my mom, but that those few years made it to where he witnessed and experienced some things that maybe she didn't fully have to experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said, you know, it was hard. One of my earliest memories um, around fatness and bodies was hanging out with my little, with my brother, my little brother, and we're little kids, maybe five, six, seven, and my dad and a bunch of his homeboys, these men, these like kind of like middle class, upper working class black men in their late 30s and 40s were talking about fat bitches. Mm-hmm. And they included my brother in the conversation and pretended like I wasn't there. And it was all about how like, you know, 
you always got to have a fat bitch because a fat bitch is going to hold you down. Rent. Yep. A fat bitch is going to get you, like, bail you out of jail. A fat bitch will buy you a new outfit for your for your interview. Like, all of these things. And I just remember listening to this as a little, little kid and being so angry. So angry that he would say this in front of me. So angry that they would teach that to a child, you know? Um, and And it's like... People will say that things are a joke, but I could see that belief enacted in the way that my father tried his best to love me. These values and these ideas were such a part of his countenance Mm -hmm. that even while he loved me and tried his best to take care of me, Mm -hmm. he still terrorized me. Mm. Um, and sometimes he terrorized me from a place of love. I'm telling you this because I, I want, I want your life to be better. I'm telling you this because it's what other people think and it ain't going to tell you. I'm telling you this because if you can handle it from me, you can handle it from anyone. You need to lose weight because no one's going to hire you. You need to lose weight because men are just going to abuse you, you know? And you said this thing earlier while about us consoling children, but not protecting children. It was never said to me, Vanessa, you don't deserve to be treated like this. Yeah. Vanessa, these kids are wrong. Mm -hmm. Vanessa, let's work on some solutions. It was always like, you need to lose weight or, oh, you choosing to be fat. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other hand, you know, I had my mom and my mom, she had her own like, you know, fat phobia that she was dealing with, I think with her own body as well. Mm -hmm. But what my mom always tried to do was teach me to fight kind of like what you were talking about. Um, But I've just never been a fighter. (laughs) I really am. I really am a lover. I really am like such a lover. I'm like, who are you? I love you, (laughs) you know, but I I just couldn't. I don't like to say mean things to people. I always feel bad. I was a little baby Christian, you know, and so (laughs) I was. My mom be like, what they ask? And I'm like, but Jesus said... My mom is like, Jesus ain't here right now. I'm like, Jesus is everywhere, mom. So mad at you. So mad. You would have been like, what the fuck? If you don't hit them. That like, and that's really what it was. My mom, like, what she come up to school like Vanessa fighting. And I'd be like, oh, fighting is wrong. <laughs> but but uh what what my mom did, my mom did something really amazing and that I will love her forever is that my mom tried her best and she went above and beyond. She would say I'm her child, but she really sacrificed for me. So the bullying got really bad when I hit the eighth grade, like the worst ever. And I started to get ulcers and I became very suicidal. And then I also became homicidal. Wow. Um, Who was you? I was getting jumped. I was getting jumped. Kids were throwing things at me. Boys were like chasing me around, threatening to rape me. It was really bad. And so, you know, I had guns at home. So, yeah. So I brought a gun to school one day. Um, because can I, Wait, real quick, before you finish your story, can I just say, in um, 100% of the cases where kids are found on campus with weapons, it's because they're being, they're, they're scared for their lives either going to school, coming from school or at school. Yep. 
I was I was getting I was getting jumped. I was getting followed around, chased around to the bus mm-hmm. stop off campus. It was life was horrible. Like I would go to bed at night praying that I did not wake up in the morning. It was terrible. Um, so I did. I brought a gun to school. I had two friends who were also being bullied. I had three friends eighth grade, two friends that were being bullied, and one girl who I just I love this girl. We hung out and she spoke only Spanish. <laughs> Like other than like, no, yes, (laughs) or sometimes she'd tell me to calm down when I got real hyper. Um, But like we spent all our time together reading books. (laughs) But um, yeah, I I showed my gun to my friends and they told the security, not the security, the campus, um, like Dean people, I forget who, but like, and I was really lucky. They did not call the police on me. and I think the reason why is they knew I was being bullied and my mom would come back, come to school all the time, all the time. So they called my parents and um, my mom was like, okay, it's time to save my daughter's life. And what that meant was I was in the eighth grade and she got me a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. a psychologist and had me in group counseling. Then when my psychologist out at me, my mom said to me and said to the psychologist in front of me, it is not your place to tell my daughter's information. This is wrong. You do not out people, you know, and we will not be coming back to you. And Vanessa made sure that I knew that what she did was not okay. Mm. And then my mom put me in a theater club with a bunch of other gay ass teenagers. (laughs) Thank you, mom. And this woman, what she did with this beautiful woman, her name is Candy Rochelle Lewis. Mm -hmm. He took off work because in LA, it would take about an hour, hour and 20 minutes to get from my school to where the drama class was. And she worked 45 minutes away from my school. So she was taking off multiple hours, sitting in traffic three days a week to keep me alive, you know, to take care of me. And I love her for that. I love her for so many reasons. What? Can I just tell you, there's a, there's a show. This is what you make me think of. There's a show on HBO. Um, I can't even, but it's about school. It's about kids in school and they have them at different stages. And I was watching one day, I don't even know how I came across this, but there's like little Latino boy in New York. Um, he was uh, queer and it was about this like youth center, this LGBTQ youth center in New York. And they were talking about it and his dad, you know, this Latino man, you know how deep machismo is or whatever. And this man said, I didn't realize how close I was to losing my son until I saw him at the center. Because he said he would come home every night. He was like depressed. He would go in his room. He would shut everybody off. And, and then I guess one of the boy's friends was like, hey, come with me to the center. So he started going and spent all his time. So the dad was like, let me see what's up with this center. And he goes and he said, my son was light and happy and laughing. And, and, and I guess it was in like in that moment where he was like, it don't matter. Like, I don't care. It doesn't because I want my child. Like, it does not matter. Yes. 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 That is so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And, and I, I want more parents to know, like, it, it really doesn't matter. And what matters is that you have created this beautiful human being 
who is worthy of your love, period, point blank, and who wants to love you and who needs your love. Yeah. And like children are children. I don't care if they are five or 18 or 21. It's time to develop empathy and compassion. And it's not your child's job to do the work of love. That's like, right. It's not their job, That's you right. know? Um, and that nation throwaways, no matter what your, I always think that it starts with like parents, like when you, when they conceive you, maybe even be, before they've had children, what they think their child is going to become and who their child is going to become and the expectations they build up in their own head. And so then you don't live up to their expectations and that for them is problematic. Yes. Um, what will people think, right? Because just because their parents doesn't mean they have self-esteem themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Or that they're courageous themselves. So. But yeah, it doesn't matter how your child shows up in this world. That's your child. Yes. That's your baby. Mm-hmm. That's your baby. My it's mom loves baby. to tell all the gay kids. She's like, if your mama don't love you, I'm here to love you. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, that's my mama. But I do want to tell you, you know, my father had a, a come hither, a come to light moment like that at one point. You know, he told me, he said, Vanessa, you're more important than my values. Um, which I think was a really, yeah, yeah, you know, and and I'm like, maybe one day, like, your love for me will shift your values, but in the meantime, like, that's a really, really, really beautiful place, and it was, and I was so grateful, Um, and it's been hard for my father to maintain that, and the thing that I'd like to think about is, um, I can never say this brother's name, but he, wrote my grandmother's hands. It's like Resma. Um, oh, I feel so bad because this is live. But what he talks about is trauma retentions, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like that post-traumatic slave narrative stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the trauma of our ancestors, mm-hmm. as well as the way our ancestors created culture to survive trauma, created Mm -hmm. practices to survive trauma. Like not only does it enter our bodies, but sometimes we think our ancestors' survival narratives are our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we take these things as culture and sometimes it's not, it, it becomes culture, but it is not the definition of who we are. And it is not the limit of how we should behave. And I think a lot about like my father's struggles with looksism, with my body, with my queerness has a lot to do with trauma retentions. I think it's less about him being a hateful or homophobic or fatphobic man. And I think it's more about him thinking, I know this white supremacist messed up world that my child is going to navigate. And I'm doing my best with the tools that I have to make it easy her alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To keep her alive, which is why I'm like those of us who are able to dream big, who are able to imagine something different. We need to be loud so yeah. that people like my father can know what's possible. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, you are definitely right. Um, one of the 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 in 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 response to your, like the trauma thing that you're saying, uh, this man was telling me one, one day that um, in him researching uh, Greek organizations, that really a lot of the, um, the abuse that happens, the hazing, it really was born out of, like when you think about like voter registration, a lot of um, black Greek orgs were the ones on the front line 
mm. helping get people registered and they had to take hoses and mm. sticks and bricks and and so that the the hazing started as a way to toughen them up so that they wouldn't run from the line but people don't know that and now it's become a part of heritage um mm. but it's it's abuse right like it's yeah. <laughs> it's become abuse and and people don't like our minds we don't even remember why it happened and now that it's something that's negative that we're holding on to so yeah that's why i stand for a historian i stand for it we need our community griots yeah yeah no definitely you're right um i want to know i was going to ask you the story about your body the story of your body that's what i always ask everybody so you can answer that if you want to or what's the story of your body that you want to share because you've told us a lot I have, I've told so much. So a story of my body that I'd like to share. <laughs> you all, these cheekbones, they are so, I love my cheekbones. Like my cheekbones just walk around spreading joy and happiness. I feel like sometimes I smile at people. I don't care how grumpy they are. They can't help but smile back. Smile back. Cheekbones <laughs> are addictive. I love my cheekbones and I love smile real big. Like, like my eyes look closed in cameras and I'm just like, that's my body hugging myself. Like that's my body just, just, just protruding. Um, also, I don't know if you can see it really well, but look at these beautiful, beautiful stretch marks. Look at all this texture. Like my body just naturally has its own design. It's so beautiful. And look, you see how I touch myself? And like all the skin and flesh moves around, things to grip on. It's just art. You know what I mean? Like, I'm. How were you able to do that? <laughs> How were you? I, no, seriously. I think like, you, I can imagine being like a listener and being like, what the fuck? Like, how were you able to take your stretch marks? You know, you hear people doing like thunder marks with bellies when pregnant women and you know what I mean? And it's easy to like see that because of um, birth life comes out of it, right? So you can make like the jump, I think a little easier, but how are you so easily and certainly able to take something that everybody else will say is a negative? And, and you like, you're like, it's art. It's always oh, art. I mean, like I am a lover of beauty for one. So, you know, and I mean, like, again, I have reclaimed my idea around what beauty is, mm-hmm. but there are two, two things. So remember I told you I courted myself, mm-hmm. you know? So I did, I spent a lot of time with every single part of my body, touching it, looking at it, talking to it, like building a relationship with it until I no longer looked at it through the lens of like something to hate or something to change. I'm like, oh, this is a part of me and I like me. Like, I like uh-huh. me a lot. Uh-huh. And the other thing is surrounding myself with other people who like me. So like these affirmations are being repeated mm-hmm. to me as opposed to like voices that are gonna make me struggle to like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, something happened really, oh, I have this doctor, like shocked me. She's a thin white woman, but this doctor might be one of the best doctors I ever had. Um, 
because I, I got really sick and um, I got more disabled than what I was. And I gained a lot of weight really fast. Like maybe in like two months, I gained like 40 pounds. And I was dealing with like a lot of internalized um, ableism and a lot of internalized fat phobia. And I was talking to my doctor about it. And she was like, you know, cause I was like, I need therapy. She was like, you do need therapy. So we'll help you with that. But I want to prescribe to you somebody to follow on Instagram. And I was like, really? And so she, this guy, this person, this queer person named Suge McDonald, who um, only takes photos of fat and super fat people, like mm-hmm. lots of naked photos of fat people, especially in water. They have mm-hmm. a little documentary out called Bodies Like the Ocean. I think um, I know, and it'll be like a couple of women. Yeah. I, I think I, I I feel like I follow him. I love his work. Yeah, yeah. Like water, water in the rocks. Things yes, like- yes, that's them. So like to have this doctor notice that like what my issue was, was lack of representation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, and, and to prescribe some self-love and to see all of those beautiful bodies and those beautiful stretch marks. And then I got to meet Suge and become one of Suge's models. And the first thing Suge like focused on was these stretch marks and they just lathered me with compliments. And then like my back rolls and like, took a photo and then I saw that photo of my back rows it was like thousands upon thousands of people like liking it and hundreds of comments and I was just like all these other people could see this beauty and it's mine I need to be able to see it I need to be able to indulge in it and then I started to do a lot of like modeling for like art you know, like naked live drawings and other photographers. And it was just like seeing these people, like seeing these people capture my beauty and and being able to reflect. Girl, let me tell you, I even got a photo, a vagina photo shoot. Um, I love it. You know, I love that. Yes. I see my pussy everywhere. (laughs) My partner keeps it and it's real intense because I was on my period. So like it's extra, yes. and it's right by their work office. So while they're working, they could be in a meeting and then just look. <laughs> but like, wow. it's just like, like, I just get to be like, I'm art, I am beautiful. Like, and, and like, it's really not what, it's not about what anyone else has to think. And I think the other thing about it, right, is while I find myself beautiful, my movement is not for everyone to find themselves beautiful. My idea, my idea is that it shouldn't matter. Like everyone should be treated with respect, love, dignity, and safety, regardless. Beauty That's should right. have nothing to do That's with right. how we treat people. That you are beautiful and divinely perfect in each and every way. And nobody That's can right. ever get to take that That's away. Right. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, I love this. this. I'm gonna have to have you come back. This has been so good. We gotta dive into we we. I feel like we've only scratched the surface on like your ugly uh, black woman stuff, but there's been so much. It's so rich. I really um, love talking to you. Likewise, I am uh, adding a new segment uh, to my to my um, show. I'm playing experimenting with um, the shape of it, but I want. Uh, to add these too much tasty tidbits and so I want to ask you some questions you already started (laughs) I was like oh she's already going there 
Um, but what is your favorite part of your body? Mm. Okay, so this is gonna be so weird. <laughs> so anytime I look at like random pictures of myself that people did not notice that like I didn't know was being taken, you will always see me doing this. And that is because I'm obsessed with my chin hair. I love to feel it against my fingers. I love that it exists. Like, <laughs> I like have a chin, I like this like mirror right here. And literally the purpose of this mirror is so that I could like look at my chin hair randomly. <laughs> And like, like I have like some white chin hairs, some black chin hairs, some gray chin hairs. I'm like, my chin is literally, we are the world. <laughs> my chin hairs is diverse. <laughs> you are so silly. I got the so best pick in mine. I like to pick it too, because I like to watch it come out. Um, and then my other favorite part of my body is my butt because it gets me things like, <laughs> like when I didn't clean the dishes and my boo is mad at me I just like I'm like I'm sorry twerk I'm sorry twerk <laughs> I love you twerk <laughs> and I'm like, well, how can I fight that how you gonna fight an ass What part of your body brought you the most pain? Hmm. <sighs> the part of my body that's brought me the most pain, um, it's really hard to say this, but my womb, um, mm. you know, like my womb um, has, has always been a source of pain. Like my period for as long as I can remember, like since I've had it has been off. You know, sometimes like it wouldn't happen for months and then other times it would go on for months, you know, weird cramps and now I have cysts and, you know, all these things. And then also like, um, even when it comes to pleasure, like, you know, for a good portion of my life, orgasms were really hard to achieve. Um, orgasms were hard to achieve, oral sex was painful. Um, so I felt like it was really hard for me to, I still like penetration is very painful for me. So I also feel like my, my vagina sometimes stands in the way of me experiencing the kind of pleasure that I want to experience as well as like lovers, like giving me the kind of pleasure that they may want to give me. Um, so there's a lot of that, you know, most of the my, I've learned recently that my sexual orientation is more kinky than in, more than gender. It's like a scene or a situation. Um, mm -hmm. And the scenes and situations I'm into, I've yet to find many people who want to do that with me. <laughs> Girl, go on Fat Life. I, you know, when I go on Fat Life, all I get is white men who want to do race play, like over and over and over. Well, what kind of kink are you into? Well, I'm into a lot of different things. Um, I'm into a lot of different things. I will. <laughs> we'll talk offline. <laughs> I will say that, I mean, I like power play. So I do a lot of DS stuff. And I'm interested in being both a dom and a sub. Mm -hmm. And I've had some really pleasurable experiences as a dom. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I've had some really pleasurable experiences being like a kink mama, um, some really pleasurable experiences with fluffy friends, little furry people, but I have not gotten to experience being submissive in a way that really feels good, mm. you know? Um, one of the few times that I did get to be like there are two experiences of really getting to be submissive in the way that I wanted. One was with my first partner um, who we had really amazing sex, but she was violent, she was abusive. And so she struck, she conflated like my desire for like dominance and sex with like using violence to like get me to behave a certain way, you know? I understand real dominance. Yup. And then the second time was a guy that I met on FetLife and he was one of the few men who did not, who I think reached out to me and got consent before he went into a kinky place with me and like just seemed nice. And he was like this, he was a white guy, this I um, who was a teacher and he was really sweet. And so we hooked up about two or three times and the first, first time and a half, the first two times it was real, like it was lovely. And then the third time, while he was inside of me, he slipped into race play um, without any checking in, because I'm not here to king shame nobody, you know? Um, I think that people get to have whatever, huh? I said, but that's not your shit. Or even if it was, and I'm not saying it is, but even if it was, like, he needed to ask, he needed to check in, you know, like somebody can be into race play and like, that doesn't mean they want to do it with you. That doesn't mean they want to do it at any given time. Like you need to ask, you know? Um, and, and then, it, and when you don't ask, it feels rapey. And that's what that did for me. It felt, I felt very violated. I felt very unsafe. I felt very disgusted. Um, and it even made me feel like I was like disgusted with myself a little bit, you know, and there's been other things. Like I really am into like little play age play. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been with people who became littles without consent, mm -hmm. without checking in. That also felt very rapey. I'm like, suddenly I'm in a, a sexualized situation that I did not consent to. And that like demands things like, when somebody is age playing, when somebody is slipping into like a child like place, like I need to be able to show up for them in a certain way, yeah. you know? Um, and I think similarly, if somebody wants to do race play, like there's probably like some some work that they need to do to feel like they're safe and to feel like the person they're with is like a safe person to do that with. Um, so as you can probably tell, I'm not anti, um, <laughs> but I think like, there's there's ways like there are like actual race play fantasies that I have that look a little different from traditional race play but I do like I do have this kind of like revenge fantasy kind of situation like <laughs> I've heard black women say that I've heard black women say that, like I have friends that like that are like I want to be a dom and I want to beat white men's asses <laughs> like I just like I want them to be my little kittens and like do my my tithings, you know, my biddings and mm -hmm. and like like raise me money so that I can give it to my kitty pop community and take care of my people. And I'm just like, and and I think like in real talk, in real, real talk, honestly, like I think that all white people who are interested in being allies to people of color should like reflect on like allowing us to be leaders you know 
regardless of what. I think that we should be in charge of everything. Um, and I think that we that's the only way we're going to interrupt systems of white supremacy is if we're setting the rules. And I think it can't just be like us setting the rules. We also have to heal because we will implement. Replicate the same bullshit. Exactly. AKA Puff Daddy. Mm-hmm. Puff Daddy's artists are still talking about being like underpaid by him, like of being manipulated and exploited by him, you know, mm-hmm. like black capitalism and black perpetuation of white supremacy is real. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. definitely. I, I, um, when we think about Afrofuturism, one of my big things is like, when we imagine what's next, like I am not interested in replicating the same bullshit. Like yeah. this, this does not serve anybody. Um, yeah. What part of your body um, have you has brought you like the most transformation? Like what part of the body, like it was, it was challenging and then you've been able to heal and transform that relationship? Mm. Yes, these arms. OMG. Our like flappers. so many ways. Our flappers. Yes. <laughs> um, the wings. It's definitely the arms. I used to have a lot of shame around my arms. I would never wear my arms out. I thought I always had to hide them because they were so jiggly. And then one day I started again, stopped trying to judge myself and instead started to focus on what felt good. And I noticed that I love holding people and animals. Like I am a cuddler and like when I cuddle people, like I feel like the moment my arms wrap around them, I feel their energy change and shift. I feel them become soft and supple and release tension. And I know that that's because these arms are like comforting. They're big and they're soft and they like really do hold you in a world that sometimes just leaves us afloat. Um, That's one thing. And then I started like people like when I cuddle them, they squeeze my arms a little bit. And I'm like, is my arm your stress relief (laughs) in this way? toy and I was like you know for a while I was like ashamed of it and I'm like don't squeeze my arm don't squeeze my arm and I'm like but actually this is pleasurable for both of us so why not allow myself to like stop judging it and just lean into like what feels good for me you know this me will come and just play with my fat (laughs) yeah rub it my brother, yep. like, they'll just mess with it. And I'll be like, leave my arms alone. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. I love some arms. They so And then there was this other thing, um, there was this meme going around and it was kind of fucked up meme, but it was like a picture of a like older black woman cooking mm-hmm. with her arms out. And the meme was like, if her arms look like this, you know, like Thanksgiving is going to be good. Yep. her food is gonna be good and I was like you know there's some fuckery to this but then I thought like so many of the older black women I know got arms Mm -hmm. why am I gonna hate on these people who I love who have fed me and who have listened to me and who have taken care of me like why don't I want to look like them why am I am I mammifying these people Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um like 
I know plenty of like women who are in their 60s and 70s is like, I'm still trying to get it. I'm still sexy, you know, like, let's let's have a connection. Like, so like, why would I de-sex them? You know, and why would I de-sex myself? That's right. So, Definitely, it was like these 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 chubby chubby lovely arms are are a thing. Right, beautiful. All right, last question: What part of your body has received the most love? My skin color. Mm. My skin color, definitely my skin color. You know, like, and I think my skin color has received some of the most love, and it's also some of the most hate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I realized I was like once I became an adult, as a child, it was horrible. But once I became an adult, I realized that like, my complexion doesn't only bring me joy, it brings a lot of other black people joy. Like a lot of times I just get on a bus and like other black women, sometimes men, but mostly women in a heartbeat will be like, oh my God, your skin is so beautiful. Oh my God, you're so chocolatey. And like, just like, you know, like seeing that like beauty and that joy and that appreciation reflected back at me, like makes me feel so good. You know, I feel like loving myself out in public, like dressing up in public. I like to get all fancy sometimes and I, I'm not doing that to attract nobody. I'm literally doing it for other black women. Like, you know, like you enjoy this cause I enjoy it too. Um, definitely my skin color. I love it. I love, I don't know who told the lie that black, that dark skin shouldn't be in bright colors. To me, that is mm-hmm. one of the biggest lies ever. Um, yep. Because dark skin, I just, I, oh, it is nothing in the world like dark skin with like some beautiful yellow, orange, red. Yes. Like, ooh. Yes. Oh, I, I like love it. it. Absolutely. This has been so beautiful. This I appreciate so it. Cool. I'm definitely going to have you come back. I would love to. But tell us about second night. Can I promote anything? Yep, I was gonna say. Tell us about all your projects. What what you want people to tune into? So I um oh so I um started this organization that I told you about called Reclaim Ugly, Mm -hmm. uplift, glorify, love yourself, and create a world where everyone else can as well. And we host lots of events, workshops. Last year, we hosted two months of free workshops called Solidarity Healing September and Black Healing October. During Black Healing October, um, we served about 1,800 people. We provided free enjoy workshops online. Every day there was anywhere between one and four workshops. Um, Lots of performances. So we really have been, and we were able to pay Black healers we were able to pay Black Healers $100 an hour. We had ASL interpretation. It was really beautiful. Um, and this year we're hosting our second annual Reclaim Ugly Healing Retreat and Transformative Imagination Conference. It's a 10-day conference at the end of May and the beginning of June, mm-hmm. um, all online. It's gonna be so beautiful. And we're hosting a fundraising a benefit party on February 14th for it. The benefit party is called Glory, the fattest love of all. We will have 12 amazing fat performers, dancers, burlesque artists, drag kings, musicians, spoken word artists, essayists, um, lots of beautiful people. And it's just gonna be a night of fat decadence, fat joy, fat love. 
Yes, fat decadence. Um, it's no one turned away for lack of funds. Everyone is welcome. We have space for everybody. The event will be ASL interpreted. And then afterwards, we're gonna have an event called Fat Cruising and Parlor Games. And that's for those fat lovelies and people who love some fat loveliness to mm -hmm. get together. Uh-huh. And like maybe get a little bit frisky between the screens, do some speed dating, some truth or dare, some other like little rom-rom uh, kind of fun things. You know? <laughs> and, and the whole purpose is like, again, to have a good time, to have some beautiful representation, to enjoy ourselves, um, but also to do what we can to make the um, Reclaim Ugly Healing Retreat and Transformative Imagination Conference accessible. Our goal is for this conference to be no one turned away for lack of funds. So like, you know, we don't wanna outprice people just cause they might not have the dollars to attend. Mm -hmm. We really want, want it to be accessible. So ASL interpretation is gonna be about $7,000 for this event. Um, having our um, an, a, a platform that's like not just Zoom, but that will really allow people to interact and have an actual conference experience is about another 3000. And then we wanna have a um, disability justice coordinator come on, which is gonna be another 3000. So we're trying to raise between 13 and $15,000. Oh, wow. And we wanna do this by like having a, a dope ass membership drive, like really getting community involved and supporting accessibility and art and then, oh my God, Kairishi, you should. So like, I'll make sure that you're like one of the first people that I reach out to, to do a presentation or a keynote. But like what we, we really, 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 our big goal is for like our, our healers, the people who like facilitate the conference, who speak, who perform, we want them all to be two of the following identities. They are either black, indigenous, mixed race people. They are fat, they are disabled. Um, or sick, chronically ill. So, so all of our facilitators, all of our keynotes, all of our participants, are, um, performers are two of those identities, and we want to pay those folks well. I heard, I heard that. I appreciate that. This is the work you are doing is so necessary, and just wow. Like, think about the world that like five year old girls are going to inherit because mm -hmm. of the work that you're doing. Right? It's just so it's it's really powerful. It's Thank really you. And I appreciate it. I'm going to bring you back because we need to yeah. dive more into this ugliness and we can do it ourselves. And this has just been, this has been a decadent conversation. I like that. I really liked it. I really, I feel so happy that I got to talk to you. Like, you know, I'm doing like little backflips on the inside. This body don't backflip, but my heart is like, woo, woo, watch me fit. <laughs> um, where can people find you? by going to www.reclaimugly.org. That's one place. Mm -hmm. People can also find me on Instagram. I'm at the.ugly.black.woman. People can find me on Facebook, Vanessa Rochelle Lewis, mm -hmm. or Reclaim Ugly on Facebook. Supposedly, I have a Twitter too, but I don't know how to use it, so... <laughs> <laughs> this has been wonderful I'm so excited that we got to have this conversation and I was feeling so bad I don't feel good right now and I was like oh why did I schedule this but I'm so thankful that both of us were able to keep the commitment because it's yeah. just such a necessary conversation and it has been a true delight 
I appreciate you. It felt really good. I'm so grateful. And I also want to let you know, you could always reschedule with me too. Oh, if you're not (laughs) always, always, I am no shame, never. Well, you know, I just needed to get over myself. Yeah. But you you did an amazing job. Your stories, your voice, your face. Like, (laughs) I felt so good and safe being with you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, you have been a wonderful guest. Um, so easy. There's so your conversation is so rich, and I just I appreciate it. I I, I can't even I can't even. Tell, I'm still processing all of this stuff. So definitely mm-hmm. going to have you come back on. Um, stay stay on when I get off, and we'll chat. Okay. Okay. Um, this has been too much woman for this world. The podcast episode 13. 13 is the completion of the cycle and the starting of a new one. Magic 13. I told y'all 2021. We about to do some things do some things make sure you hit up vanessa rochelle lewis at uh v.ugly.black.woman or go to reclaiming ugly reclaiming ugly.org reclaim ugly.org reclaim ugly.org make oh, sure you- oh real quick also i wrote a book what's I wrote your book? book i wrote a book it's called reclaiming ugly uplift glorify love yourself and create a world where others can as well and it comes out August 24th, Woo-hoo! it's um, with North Atlantic Press and Penguin is releasing it. So it's out there for pre-order right now. You can just Google it, Reclaiming Ugly. I love you. I'm working on a book myself. We go, we're going to talk. We need oh. your words. We need it. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been wonderful, y'all. Make sure you hit up, hit up her pages. Make sure you check out the site. Make sure you donate and uh, sign up for the, the conference. It sounds like a blast. Make sure you take the words and change conversations in the way they're being yeah. had. Too Much Woman for This World, the podcast. I'm Kairishi Wigginton. It has been a beautiful evening and we are out.